Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Scarlett Russell. Entertainment Editor for the Sunday Times Style. And this is Secrets of the Side Hustle, your go-to podcast to find out what it really takes to turn your passion into your career. Each episode, we hear from inspiring female founders who give us the lowdown on how they turn their side hustle into a thriving business. From baking for the stars to sex tech, disrupting the fast fashion industry and more, In this show, we get the ins and outs and ups and downs of setting up your own company whilst pocketing nuggets of advice along the way. On this episode, I'm speaking to Vanessa Vellelli, the founder and CEO of We Are The City, a networking platform for women in business. Vanessa started We Are The City in 2008, while she had a thriving career in banking, but was frustrated by the lack of female representation within the finance industry. And now, 14 years on, Vanessa has an OBE, and We Are The City has over 100,000 members across the globe. I can't wait to hear her story. Vanessa, hi, welcome to Secrets of the Side Hustle. Hi, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you. Why don't you start by telling us about your business, We Are The City, what it is, who it's for. So We Are The City was basically built to help women to access resources that they need to progress their careers. So back in 2008, when I first started it, there was limited kind of networks, there was limited resources for women to, if they say, for example, they wanted to drive their own careers forward, they would have to spend hours on Google to find everything. And my kind of big bugbear is, why is all this stuff not in one place? But you have to bear in mind, in 2008, gender was on no one's agenda. Diversity wasn't even a term at that point. So we was a little bit early to the party. So in terms of the website that we built, it was a slow news day. We were lucky if we had one article per month to put on that website because nothing was going on. And then obviously, come 2010, the tide turned a little with Lord Davis doing the report around women on boards. And I think that kind of opened the floodgates for this conversation around where are the women? you know? And that was at a more senior level. However, for me, I was thinking, okay, but if we don't address the women, the junior women, if we don't address the women in the middle, how will we ever build a pipeline of senior women that can sit on our boards and make those kinds of decisions? So for me, it was about what could I build to create a platform for women to showcase their incredible talents, to tell their stories in a way that wasn't going to cost them any money, but was just something that everyone could kind of access. 
Is it only for women who work in the city? No, no, no. It's UK based. But in the last, obviously, since COVID, we've gone global. We did have a presence in India for quite a few years. But long before, there were kind of women's networks in India. And then towards the end of our tenure, after about four years, we started to see all these little groups set up. And, you know, from a perspective of culture, those women know the challenges they face. So we backed away and helped some of those women's groups. And, you know, they're thriving now in India. So it's in a magical place. We've still got lots of connections there. So it's not for women who necessarily work in the city, i.e. finance. It's for any woman who works in business. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's a separate side for women that work in technology as well, because that number of women in tech is just 17%. And it hasn't gone anywhere in the past eight years. So what resources, if I was to go on there now and I was like, right, so I've got a business idea or I'm starting a business or I've got a business, how can your website help me? What resources are there? It's not just for like female founders and entrepreneurs, it's for women that currently work within any business environment. So say for example, you're feeling a little bit stuck in a rut, you know, I want to progress, I want to get promoted, I know that I've got to do some work in order to make that happen and what does that look like? So first of all, you need other people to help you. Be that access to mentorship, be it access to learning activities, Activities, be it a network that can advocate for you. So where do I meet those individuals? So having a list of network directories that are by industry. So there are, I think there's something like 1,000 different women's networks that we know of alone that cover every industry. So you'll have a women in aviation, you'll have a women in mining, you know, all these different little groups that have been set up probably by a couple of frustrated women that are looking around like I did and said where's everyone else as a support group so we have a network directory we have an events calendar that tells you all the different things that are going on that you can tap into we tell stories of incredible women that have been there and seen it and done it but not just senior women women in the mid-level and junior women that are doing amazing things so there's a lot of inspiration and motivation there We also are a bit of a hub for what everyone else is doing around gender in the workplace. So we're published things like gender pay gaps, pension reforms. You know, if perhaps one of the big four consultancies have done a piece on gender in the workplace, we would publish that. So we're a bit of a news feed for anything working women. We have... 160,000 members, I believe it is, which has grown over 14 years. So would, if I was to be a member and sign up for membership, yep. how much does it cost? Nothing. It's all completely free. Absolutely free. So how are you funded? How do you um, make money? I'm funded by 150 incredible companies. 150? Um, yeah. That basically either sponsor our awards, they sponsor our conferences, they pay to be part of another group that we run called Gender Networks, which brings together all the chairs and co-chairs of women's networks within firms. So, for example, you might have a Women at News or there might be a Women at Barclays, which there is. (laughs) There's a Win Network. We bring together all the heads of all those different networks across 100 different firms to share best practice because we're a big believer, you know, that if we share each other's experiences, we'll get there faster. So we do a lot of kind of stuff that's collaborative. So we have gender networks. So there's a membership to that. So all of the money that pours in, we are a commercial business, but there's a lot of it that goes back to social impact. So, for example, tickets for our conferences, are probably half the price of the tickets for normal conferences. We gift at least 30% of our tickets to women out of work, returners, students. Every time we have an event, when we have physical space, we gift 30% of that to charities, not for profits. Because in our mind's eye, if they get to meet our sponsors, there's other relationships that can spin up as a consequence of that. So we do a lot of social impact despite the fact, obviously, we are a commercial business. When you say commercial business, do you have advertising that you get money from as well? Yes, we, we advertise for lots of business schools, yes. different women's programmes. So we do a lot of that, but we've never been a business that 
pushes things down our members' throats, as in, you need to go and do that, or these funnel emails. That advertising that you get. has to feel organic. It's got to feel organic. As an entrepreneur, it's still a great way of you making money. Absolutely. I mean, we do most of it because we're very pro education. I mean, I personally went back to university when I was 38. I never went because I left school at 16 and I didn't go to college or uni. But very much that kind of exec MBA education is important if you want to go into very, very senior roles. You can do it by experience, but you know, to have that qualification is good. As you say, you left school at 16, you had two GCSEs, you headed straight into the world of business in the city, right? So you're from London, right? Yeah, no, I grew up up the road. So I grew up in Hackney. In Hackney. So for me, the city was 15 pence on a bus. I'm showing my age. <laughs> and I could see the city of London from the tower block that I lived in in Hoxton. Very trendy now, right? <laughs> Very trendy. Um, the tallest building at the time was NatWest Tower. And I could see that building. And I knew the city was where they made money. And given kind of my background, it was just me and my mum. She was running loads of different jobs. No sob story. Made me what I am. I'm very proud of my roots. Yeah. But two incomes would have been better than one. So any dream of me going to college or university... If I'm completely honest, I checked out when I was about 14 in school. So I kind of lost a good year. Probably could have done a bit better. But going into the world of work was always going to be a bit of a struggle. What was your first job then? I worked for NetWest. I went to work in the very building I could see from my bedroom window. Doing what? Just at Telex. Uh-huh, yeah, Telex yeah. admin. Proper junior entry Proper level. junior. And I got the sack after six months. What for? <laughs> it wasn't so much they sacked me. They wanted to relocate me to an office that was like 200 miles away. I think we'd call that constructive dismissal. <laughs> Basically, I didn't react to a situation in the way that I should have. To be fair, you were 16. I, I mean... was 16 <laughs> and I brought a little bit of East End flavour to yeah. that. <laughs> Which, you know, tact and diplomacy in hindsight is a wonderful thing. But it taught me a valuable lesson at a very young age that people will press my buttons and I need to know how to respond to that accordingly. Vanessa had big ambitions from a young age. With only a couple of GCSEs, she got a foot in the door within the finance industry. But how did she climb the ladder and acquire the skills to begin her own side hustle? Started obviously in in banking. That was putting on my suit for the first time, which is kind of special. First one to ever work in a bank within my family. And obviously left that job, went into a tech company as a receptionist. Learned a little bit more tact and diplomacy at that particular point. And I've always been a big people watcher. Even to this day, I watch how people deal with situations, how they deal with conflict, how they deal with, you know, different kind of business scenarios. And I used to watch the lady that was in the training department behind me, and she was so busy. So bear in mind, this was, so how old was I? About 17. So 1989, around about that time. And the computers were just coming into the city. We were all still on pen and paper. So this company was shipping out loads of kit into the city, and no one knew how to turn the computer on so she was selling software courses so things like back in the day DOS based programs or Windows you know Mm -hmm. the things that you probably won't even remember like these old packages and she was always very stressed and I've always kind of been that individual that no matter what rank you are even if you're very senior if I can roll my sleeves up and help you get the job done that's what we do right so kind of offered to help her used to help her out quite a lot she took me into her team I watched her I shadowed her job for two years and then I went and got her job elsewhere so I went to work for Reader's Digest was organizing the training there for everyone it was going on to some sort of mail system and one of the trainers went sick and I said to my boss I can teach that it's because the one skill I had the one GCSE I'm not proud of the grade but you know if anyone's listening it was an F I got in computer studies which ended up being my career (laughs) but I knew how to turn a computer on 
which is more than most people. So I ended up training. I ended up finishing that training course. I voluntary redundancy came up. I took the money. I think it was £5,000, which was a shed load of money Mm -hmm. from a girl that grew up where I did. You know, I bought myself a flashy old car and everything like that. And then I set up my own business. So I set up a training company, which I ran for a year, not realising I had no business acumen whatsoever. Like, I didn't understand who the tax man was. Like, when I got my first tax bill after year one, I was like, what does he want with my money? Why is that? I've spent it, you know? What's the VAT all about? So I realised that I'd have to be a little bit more grown up if I was going to run a business. So run back to corporate. And there, kind of just jumped. I met my husband at work. I was doing a bit of desktop support, a bit of training, so thoroughly in tech at this point. He was doing the same job. And I used to pull the leads out the back of the PC and log a help desk call so he'd come and fix oh, it. That's what, how you bag a husband. What's husband's um, name again? Stuart. Stuart. <laughs> Stuart. So, Hi, Stuart. <laughs> so we married and then I had two very, very short maternity leaves. Yes, you've got two daughters, I've right? I've got two daughters. How old are they now? Um, one is 19. And one is 21. So you had them in your 20s, your girls? I did, mm-hmm. when I was 27. Okay. So quite early now, so it's great now because we can go and party together. But at that particular time, two very short maternity leaves because it was the world of tech. What's short maternity leave? Three months. Oh my gosh. And, th- and three months or four months. That is months short now. Mm. But the thing was, I think it was more a case if I didn't get back, tech was moving so quick that my skills would be obsolete. So I kind of run back. So you're working for Aviva, the insurance company, you're a business manager in 2008 when you're 36. Yep. So I jumped a few jobs from then. I jumped a lot of different banks during that time. Yeah, I had Barclays, this strategy. You were at, right, what was your strategy? Every two years while I was young, I would jump jobs. Every two to three years. Wow, why? What was good about Money. that? Money. I was totally driven by the financial side of it. And I knew if I hung around in a job for a long period of time, the pay rises would get smaller. It's easier to fob you off and stuff like that. So it was purely about, you know, earning enough money so that we could buy a house. We were dual income family. I was ambitious, which I always felt was a little bit of a dirty word, you know, um, mm-hmm. but my husband was equally ambitious. So he and I used to literally take it in turns to, right, I'm going to jump jobs and you're going to need to support me for 18 months, two years till I settle. And then I'll say put and then you jump jobs. And that's literally what we did because both of our jobs involved quite a lot of travel at a period of time. He was going back and forth to Houston. I was going to New York, to India. So sometimes, you know, we did used to kind of pass at the airport. Mm. When did the seed of the idea for We Are The City come to you? So I've just celebrated my 50th birthday and I was in a hotel in Marbella called El Oceano. And that is where We Are The City was born. Me and my husband sat on a sunbed late one afternoon after a few bottles of wine like What year was this? 2007. Okay, 2007. Great, We used to get away for a weekend, just he and I, and and my mum would have the kids. Nice. And we were sitting on this sunbed late in the afternoon, a couple of bottles of wine, and I was moaning at the fact that I was the only woman in my leadership team. And the guys were great, but both my kids were kind of under seven. You know, where is my support as a working woman and he said why don't you build a website so kudos to Stuart and we're put whatever's going on for women onto that website so obviously after a few glasses of wine you know we was ready to solve world peace this was going to change the world (laughs) as we know it on the back of a piece of A5 paper because I always carry a book with me when I go away I'd basically drawn out what the website would look like and that was that we came back and I think it was on the Tuesday or it was that week Stuart sent me an email and he said, let's do something about it. And he'd bought me two website domains for £30. And he said, if you research it, I'll build it. Because he was a little bit of a website builder on the side. Amazing. And that's where it began. What I found really interesting, I was reading this interview with you that's quite old now. It's about 10 years ago. But you were talking about working at Aviva when you started setting up We Are The City. Yeah, I did. But you were 
an ultimate professional. You were what you put in all your hours at Aviva at lunchtime yeah. and in the evenings you'd work on We Are the City. And then you asked for flexibility. You yeah. dropped down to four days a week at Aviva. That's so you right. had another day. You turned down jobs because they wouldn't offer you that flexibility. Yeah. And Aviva, you've always commended for being really supportive, yeah. which is fantastic. I mean, the guy that I work for, he's actually the investor in my business. Oh, wow. Nice full circle. And, and, it, and because when I went to work for him, he already knew about We Are The City. Anyway, he knew that was my passion. He knew himself that there wasn't enough women in senior levels. Oh, so you were already working on that when yeah. you went to work at Aviva. Okay. The seed of the idea started just around the corner from here when I was sitting on my desk at Blackrock. That's when the email came through. Let's do something about it. And then obviously onto Aviva. I started that job knowing that I had We Other City in my back pocket, stuff I did off the side of my desk was honest and open about it because sometimes mm. I would shoot off at five o'clock, half past five, I was going to an event or anything like that. And I had one of the most supportive bosses, you know, that enabled me to do that. I think even nowadays, it's acceptable to have a side hustle. But back kind of in that time, it was quite rare to find a boss that was letting you do this thing outside of work because as you get to that kind of level, you're supposed to be completely 100% sold into the job. Whereas I kind of had this little thing on the side. And if I'm honest, the reason why I left corporate, which is now 10 years ago, was because that was fulfilling the passion more than my love of banking or even tech at the time. Vanessa managed to develop her side hustle while juggling her job, but I want to know what advice she would give to anyone else looking to do the same. We've talked a lot in the last couple of years about the importance of well-being. And sometimes these things that we do as side hustles play to our passion and they make us feel good. You know, they're things that we actually want to do. Not to say we don't want to do our job, but, you know, you kind of come alight when you do, like, some other things. So I think to be able to explain to a boss that there's this thing that I'm really, really passionate about that I want to build on the side, you know, so in which case I'd like to flex my hours a little bit. I want to focus on that. doesn't mean I'm going to leave my job. don't mean I'm less passionate about that. But this really fills me with joy, you know, because more often than not, you know what it's like like even like I remember years ago when I was able to work flexibly and when I think back that was quite revolutionary at the time mm. the fact that I could be at home and I could pick my kids up from school that day and I could put a wash on in between conference calls meant the world to me you know it made me a better employee in the office you know and I think it's the same when you've got entrepreneurial pursuits if you've got something that you're pursuing something that's yours something that you're in control of and you can nurture and grow I think that's so important so that's how I would kind of approach it's actually good for your wellness to have other interests outside of work but won't a boss say I don't care about all of that any of that I, I want you I just want to know that if you go down to four days a week you're still going to deliver so do you think it's maybe worth going in with a plan and saying I know what you're going to ask I will deliver my job in four days and this is how is it about having that plan yeah I think that's important but I mean you can you can say they're just words right you can say whatever you like I mean I remember one boss skip saying well you can go down to a four-day week because I know I'm gonna get five days anyway that's the problem and you it end is up the working problem five days 100 so hard to switch off isn't it and when you are an entrepreneur like like leaving that job you are never off duty mm. even if you go on holiday you know if that client sends you an email and you know that that's going to pay the bills for the next three months or stuff you're going to answer that email then and there you know there has to be an element of time that you take out but any entrepreneur any founder will tell you that even when I think when you get to a very senior level you still have to be involved and you still have to be available at which point did you leave Aviva completely to focus 100% on We Are The City? That was in two, nearly, I was run the marathon that year, so that would have been oh, early. Is two, there nothing you can't do? No, there is. <laughs> that was my 40th list of things that I wanted to do. So run the marathon was on that. I did it. It wasn't necessarily the fastest <laughs> time, but I finished it. That was 2012. 
that I left. And I sat in my conservatory thinking, what have I done? Everything that 16-year-old girl ever wanted, that job in the city, that big job title and the salary and all the trimmings that come with it, you finally, it's all there, it's all within your reach and you're going to give it all up. Yeah, and did anyone else say to you, like yeah, from the was, finance world, that you were completely crazy? You're giving up a really stable job. You've got two kids. You're just going to, you know, work on. But how did you know? Because you launched in 2008, so presumably, you know, four years in, you must have been doing well enough to know. No, do you no. know what? We had no commercial products. I had nothing to sell at all because the whole world of gender was just building. Then there wasn't all the networks that you see. There wasn't this focus on women's for development programs or anything like that. There was, but it wasn't kind of mainstream. So we just spent those four years building up a community, a community of women that probably had the same frustrations as me didn't have anywhere else to go. We didn't want to be an organisation that said, you know, wrapped a load of bureaucracy around joining. It's an email address, that's it. And if you want to unclick it any time, you can. So it was about building up a community of women. We only actually started doing things where we asked for commercial sponsorship probably in around 2015, I think, was the first thing. The first bit of sponsorship we ever got was from Alison Rose, who's the CEO of NetWest. She gave me £1,500 for some drinks for the first ever Rising Star Awards which was in the very sweaty Porticulli's house, which is one of the government buildings. And it was very hot. We had no chairs. But she was the one who started us on her journey, obviously CEO of NatWest now, and an incredible woman. It was only then that companies started coming to us and saying, my God, you've got this huge amount of women like within your community. We're looking to attract, retain and develop our female talent. What can you do to help us? So that's where that conversation started. And that's really where the revenue stream started. Prior to that, I'd funded it. In my day job, every bit of spare cash I had, I put into it. When I first give up, my job, we had no money coming in or anything. It was down to 50% of the income of the house. My kids were in private school, so it weren't like I had like fees to pay or anything like that. But we were still 50% down in a household. And I remember my husband ringing me up saying, why is my card bounced? I was oh, only no. trying to buy a pint of milk. And that's the bootstrap of an entrepreneur, right? So you remember those times and, and they don't go away for a number of years. It's only like when you get, I mean, we're what? now 10 years in if not a little bit more that you get a revenue 14 years sorry yeah it feels (laughs) like 10 that you get regular clients and they trust you and you've proven your capability and they see what we're trying to do which is raise the profile of incredible women and provide educational opportunities that are financially accessible and easy for them to access you're listening to secrets of the side hustle with scarlett russell there'll be more secrets coming up just after this 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Secrets of the Side Hustle with Scarlett Russell. Let's jump back into where we left off. You went back to business school um, at the age of 38. Why? Had a massive chip on my shoulder that I never went. Okay. Um, and I was being invited onto panels and things like that. And I'd sit next to people with lots of letters after their name. And it was imposter syndrome, really. I just felt like Vanessa from the Tower Block. And I didn't really deserve a seat there. My own issues that I've worked through over the years. But I thought if I went back to education, that would fulfill some of those own personal gaps. And did it? No. Okay. <laughs> No, it didn't. I realised why I never liked school in the first place because um, I really do struggle with attention to detail. There and must have been something you took from... What did you study, business? It. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. It was like a mini mini MBA, right? Okay. Um, it was at Chicago Business School. The same guy that backed my business was the guy that encouraged me to do it. At first, he told me, why do you want to do it? You're already at this level. Mm. What box are you ticking? And then when I explained it to him, he said, if that's an itch you need to fulfill, then go and do it. And he actually funded it from the company, which was amazing. I met the most incredible network of people there as a consequence of doing that. And I remember when I first went into that auditorium, I sat at the back and the professor came around the back and he said, are you always going to sit at the back in life? And like, that's all he said to me. And he carried on walking around. And from that day on, I've always sat at the front. In 2018, you received an OBE for your services to women and the economy. What difference did that make to your career, do you think? It just gave me a platform to do more. I mean, I didn't know that I'd been nominated and that all these incredible people, because you don't know, all these incredible people had written letters of support. I've read them subsequently now and made me cry. Oh. I mean, I I wasn't even doing Rising Stars then. I think we just started in India. There was no We Are Tech Women or no awards or anything like that. So this is all kind of off the side of my desk stuff that I did within my corporate job, which is kind of what those honours are about. And I remember getting the letter. I was moving house. The post was redirected to my mum's. And she ran me up. She said, there's a brown letter from the cabinet office. And I said, oh, it's probably a receipt because I'd done a nomination for someone else. And she opened it up. She went, no, it's for you. I nearly crashed the car. (laughs) I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, it was such a magical day. From where life started for me, to be able to take my mum and dad and my kids and my husband to something like that and and the honour that came with that, you know, and the fact it does open up doors of opportunity for me to have conversations around gender equality because I've kind of got that behind me. So it was the most magical day. What has been your biggest success story with a woman's career through We Are The City? I think it's the Rising Star Awards. We now have, what, 800 women that have been through those awards. There isn't a day that goes past that I don't see one of them being promoted. They're speaking on stages, they're writing, they've written books, they've started their own businesses. They were magical, incredible women long before we come along. All we've done is shine a huge spotlight on them and they've taken it from there and they've become role models and they've become ambassadors for women and you know for their industries as well and they've taken that baton and they've run with it so for me the biggest achievement and the biggest legacy that we leave are the rising stars and what what they will go on to do 
and also our tech women. There's now, what, 550 tech women, you know, where we still have a massive issue around women in tech that are now leading the bat and they're in schools, they're busting myths around what it's like to work in tech. They're setting up their own little tech side hustles. So they give me joy. Every time I log on to LinkedIn, there is one of them doing something incredible. Are there any members that are like super high profile that we might have heard of? There's loads of them. Liv Cook springs to mind. Liv Cook was 16 when she won one of our awards. She was the youngest one. That was in that sweaty Porticullis house, like the first ever awards. <laughs> Liv Cook is the world champion freestyle footballer. We've had, I think, something in the region of 26 Queen's Honours. You know, we've umpteen books, authors. We track them. We track all of our winners and like when they go on to do other things, we still act as a news feed for what they're doing. So yeah, we've had incredible, absolutely incredible uh, women that have gone on a huge trajectory, not through us, through their own magnificence, you know, with a little bit of us going, look how wonderful they are. I want to ask about some setbacks and failures and oh how God. you bounce back from them. them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, brilliant. So over the course of 14 years um, with your business, yeah, there must have been some setbacks. Tell me about a couple and how you came back from them what you learned from them I mean I think initially when we wanted the website built we paid £900 to two guys that disappeared off the face of the earth and that was it the life savings were gone oh we had no income God. or anything like that that was pint of milk time so they disappeared off so that was the first one I think when first setting up We Are The City not being strategic enough it is something that has literally been built by adding bits on as we've gone it's a lot more tidier now but for the first few years it was like even I remember our first ever corporate client said oh can we have a contract and we all looked around there was like three of us went what's a contract what do we need that for you know so things like that mistakes that we've made partnerships you have to be really really careful with you know because it's it's your brand you know at the end of the day so something may look like a really good thing to do but actually in reality it's not so i think you know a few of our mistakes has been chasing the shiny stuff when actually that wasn't what we needed to move us forward i think you know what i would say to everyone is get your data sorted out from the get-go you know what data you're collecting obviously you know privacy you have to be careful with that even things like you know we've never actually done it but we almost done it you know when you send out an email to everyone to a database before we had tools everything was kept like on a list of people's emails address and you would send out a newsletter from a mailbox on like a normal email and not having people in the BCC field you know I mean now obviously there's GDPR but back in the day we nearly we nearly pressed that button you know and that would you know scary little things like that you know but I think as time goes on you get the tools in place and costs increase that was the other thing that I would say setting up a community group the costs are quite low to begin with it's the cost of your website and your hosting but as you get bigger and bigger you know, that you need proper tools in place to protect your data, you know, from a tech perspective, to house, you know, your databases and all these different things that you need to do. So you need the cost kind of get bigger as you grow. So I think not estimating how much that would be as we scaled. It has been a real pleasure getting to know our female founder on this week's Secrets of the Side Hustle. But I want to go just that little bit further and find out something about them or their business that isn't common knowledge. It's time for Best Kept Secret. Round about, about 2018 or 2017, I was actually going to stop doing Reality City. It was just before we launched We Are Tech Women 
and I just felt like I was banging my head against a brick wall. I think I personally hit that point where everything we was trying to do on gender just felt too much. You know, the numbers weren't going anywhere. Every headline was a sad headline. It was, And you, I think you just get to a point, and again, this is like with your business, where you think, no matter what I do, I'm not going to change I'm not going to change anything quick enough in my lifetime. So why am I kind of working all of these hours, given up my job? And there was that moment where I thought, should I just go back to corporate? You know, just give it all up and just go back and just get a normal job and do normal things. You know, and that was, it was a really low point because everything I'd kind of built, you know, I was prepared to kind of give up. And it was my husband that said, you know, we need to keep on. We need to keep going. We haven't done all of this for you to kind of, you know, crumble at this point. It being really, really supportive. But I think it's just sometimes you just feel like you're pushing stuff uphill with gender. And I think at that particular point, every headline was, you felt like you were moving two steps forward and 10 steps back. Mm. So I just thought, what is my contribution in the grander scheme of things? And how much of my life am I going to devote to trying to drive change at the consequence of my my own mental health and not seeing my family as well but you stuck with it I did stick with it and, and you're I'm, glad you did I, but don't get me wrong I'm so glad I did there are still moments I think anyone who works in the world that I work in would necessarily not be telling the truth that we don't have our days where we feel this is hard work but if we give up things will never change they never change for my daughters they never change for their daughters so you can't give up It's almost time to say goodbye to our female founder this week. But before we do, let's have one more moment of inspiration with our Quote for Quote, where we share uplifting quotes with the hope to motivate you to pursue what you're passionate about. This one I picked out from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the first woman appointed on the Supreme Court in America. She died earlier this year, but she's incredible and she's left obviously a huge legacy and her quote is fight for the things that you care about but do it in a way that will lead others to join you absolutely it's ruth right she's badass ruth and notorious rbg that's the one so my quote is something that i've always kind of kept in mind that a life without passions is a dull one indeed and i've been saying it for years because i think it's really important that we all work and we work hard and we achieve the things that we want in life but there has to be some room for passion there has to be things that you do that kind of give you that fire in your belly that you love and that you feel complete by doing so for me no matter whatever i go on to do you know in the years that will come there has to be space for me to be my authentic self and do the things i'm passionate about i love it so your favourite life lesson that you would pass on to anyone thinking about starting a side hustle? I think my advice would be that everybody needs a side hustle. I think if there's anything that we've learned in the last two years, especially during the pandemic, that we need to have multiple streams of income. Again, cost of living crisis and things like that at the moment. So I think anyone, whatever you can do, I mean, even just a quick one, even during lockdown, I didn't know where our business would go. You know, we switched to virtual very quickly, but I set up a little artificial flower business, um, making reefs. Yeah, Arc de Fleur, if anyone wants to go and have a look. I did, I was making like flower reefs. I learned floristry, I did a couple of courses, five o'clock in the morning, and I did that. And I still do it as a hobby. That was a way of me, a little Etsy shop, earning a little bit of extra revenue. Should everything go wrong with the other city, it was a little skill that I had. So yeah, 100%. Think about what you can do, be it creative and, you know, have another revenue stream. Even if it brings you in £10 a week, you can grow it. Such good advice. What do the next 10 years look like for you and your business? So I've still got unfinished business with We Are The City and We Are Tech Women. I will not rest until that number of women in tech goes up from 17%. 
And then I would like to do something, Not I would still do We Are The City, but on the side, my additional side hustle, I've got a few actually, I'd love to do something around education and social mobility, obviously coming from where I grew up, this huge disparity in terms of access to work experience for kids, and also the fact, can they afford that work experience and all the, that goes with it, so I'd love to do something in that space to open up more job opportunities for kids from areas like where I grew up. So I've got that. And then I've also got this little thing on the side called Vallely's Deli, <laughs> um, which I think has got a lovely ring to it, where I just sell olives and fancy bread. So a bit of Borough Market to Essex. Um, so I might do a bit of that as well. And who knows where the flower business might go to. I follow this wonderful people that decorate big restaurants in London. I think they're called After Hours and they're like my total girl crush kind of flower inspo. So I might do something with that. Vanessa Vallely, the queen of the side hustle. <laughs> it must be said Vanessa it's been such a pleasure talking to you you can find out more about We Are The City at wearethecity.com I highly recommend that you all check out that website it's been such a pleasure speaking with you loads of great advice there thank you You've been listening to Secrets of the Side Hustle with Scarlett Russell and our fantastic female founder this week Vanessa Vallely The series producer is Anya Pierce. If you enjoyed what you heard, why not follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode? And you can listen back to all our previous episodes on the Free Times Radio app or download them from wherever else you get your podcasts. I'll be back with more Secrets of the Side Hustle next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 